Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everyone. I'm Markella Cara, Vice President of Capital Link, and welcome to the 2024 Capital Link Corporate Presentation Series. In this series, company management highlights the company's current operations, business development, growth prospects, and sector outlook. We are pleased to have with us today the senior management team of Cadillac, Mr. Mikhail Glirup, Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Peter Brogard Hansen, Chief Financial Officer. Cadillac is a key supplier with the offshore wind industry for installation services, operation and maintenance work that provides marine engineering operations to the offshore wind industry with a strong focus on safety and the environment. The company is, li is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol DLR and on the Oslo Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol CADLR. In terms of logistics, we begin with a company presentation followed by Q&A. Please note that participants can submit their questions through the Q&A button or your screen during the webinar. Your questions will be answered during the Q&A session. Before we begin our webinar, kindly note that this discussion is strictly for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon. The webinar doesn't constitute an offer to buy or sell securities or investment advice or advice of any kind and Capital Link bears no responsibility for the content. Please make a note that Cadillac may be making forward-looking statements at this point. Let us now begin with our discussion, as I would like now to pass the floor to Mr. Blair. Mikhail. Thank you. So uh, we will be quickly running through the slides here. And thank for everybody who's listening in, by the way. We will quickly run through the slides, and then we will be uh, having lots of time for Q&A uh, that, that might be from the, from the audience on the, on the call. Uh, but <clears throat> we are, we are a, a pure play company. Uh, that works as a TNI contractor in offshore wind. Uh, we have recently completed a, a, a merger uh, with Ineti uh, and really forming the leading company in the offshore wind industry. Uh, we currently have four state-of-the-art uh, turbine installation vessels on the water, and we're expanding with six new builds. Uh, we have been accelerating growth via M&A, uh, and the merger, as I said, uh, has really uh, crafted uh, the world's largest and most versatile fleet of offshore wind turbine installation vessels. Next slide, please. Uh, at, a, as a, at a glance, you can say, as a company, we have installed more than 11.5 gigawatts of offshore wind. We have 10 vessels, four on the water, six uh, in construction. Uh, if we looked at our revenues, uh, uh, then we would have been at, at 199 million in the combined setting, excluding the vessels we have sold, but including the combination. We have a combined backlog of work of 1.7 billion euro and a market cap of around 1.3 billion euro. We have done more than 850 foundations and more than 1,300 turbines. And as a total, including seafarers, we are more than 550 employees. Next slide, please. In terms of what is out there for us and, and what we are looking at as a company, we are looking at a very, very steep uh, ramp up of projects that has to be installed in order to meet the targets that the various governments and states around the world have set for themselves in terms of renewable energy and offshore wind power. We, we ourselves have a, a version of the truth that we believe in, what can be done, 
uh, with the supply chains we have today and, and, and the outbuild of the supply chains that can happen for the various states. So as you will see from the left side of the chart here, we are discounting uh, a number of the projects that are uh, planned for installation by 2030 um, because we, we think that uh, even to reach uh, this uh, target that we are pointing towards here will be uh, a pretty uh, hefty journey that we will go through as an industry. And obviously, there are different levels of installations in different regions, but we do believe that both uh, Europe, Asia and US will see uh, installations uh, in this decade and also an increased amount of installations uh, leading to uh, uh, an ambitious target of, 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 2020, uh, of 2030. Sorry. And at the same time, we also see, uh, if we look at the supply and demand uh, balance in the industry on the various turbine platforms and with O&M included, um, that we are at a, at, a, at, a, at a capacity constraint in the industry and we need to ensure that the right vessel goes on the right project and that we use our vessels optimally to not have any uh, suboptimal utilization of the assets in order to meet the targets on the left side of the chart. Next slide, please. We are aware that last year in 2023, uh, there has been uh, some uh, headwinds in the industry. There has been some, some news around projects that are being paused, projects that are being canceled uh, for many different reasons. Majority of uh, cancellation of projects were around the US market, uh, but we are seeing that these projects are coming back on, on track again. And if we go to the next slide, uh, I think that we can already see that, um, that there is a fresh breeze in the industry and I would say that the last quarter of last year and, and, and how we have started 2024 certainly uh, gives a more uh, optimistic outlook on, on what is coming ahead of us uh, because we are seeing uh, a lot of um, projects coming up for tender, a lot of uh, developers looking at FIDing their projects. And we are seeing that projects are shifting owners, but with shifting ownerships, also an accelerated timeline for the project. And we are... Uh, of the opinion that 2024 will be a very, very, very uh, interesting year for the offshore wind industry. And just for ourselves, I think that uh, the, 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 at the bottom left of the slide here, you see that uh, Erster took fin final investment decision on Horn C3 at the end of last year, which was, of course, a very important point for us because it was one of the projects in our backlog. But I would also like to add, we never doubted that FID on that project. And, and we are, of course, very, very happy that, that we have now seen it coming to fruition. Next slide, please. I think that as if we look at the industry, then uh, of course, a lot of the, the things that are coming is, is, is ahead of us here in, in terms of our own company development. We are delivering six vessels. We are putting new cranes on, on the vessels as we, uh, as we speak uh, down in the Netherlands where the two O-class vessels from Kettler are receiving new cranes to enable them to do uh, the turbines of the future. Uh, but I think also it, it, it gives a, a clear picture of the industry and where we are uh, that in fully delivered uh, mode, Kettler will be operating 10 of the leading uh, jackups in the industry and really putting us in a very, very solid position to support our clients and the industry as a whole uh, going forward with ensuring that we install uh, the targets that we have just been, been talking about. And I think that if you look at it, uh, one of the inherent risks for the for the developers is that there is a, a, a another uh, a supply chain um, restriction that, that leads to a delay on their projects. And there, I think that it is good to be with, with the leading company because we will have 
the best ability to support any delay on projects if 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 we can shift the vessel or something like that. And we do see that for the from the client's point of view, this is something that carries a value, um, and and also uh, one of the uh, the contributing factors to to a lot of the discussions we are in with clients at the moment. That size really matters in our industry, and the fact that we will be able to support them on many different levels with many different assets uh, is a benefit. I think that we we look into a, a fleet uh, on our side where we have capacity, we have open capacity as well for 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 challenges that is in the industry, but also for projects coming out there. And we are seeing that 2024 has started uh, very very busy uh, with new projects and projects in in tender. And I think that we have said also that uh, we believe that the fleet diversity that we have on our side uh, with the integration of the vessels from Enedi, uh, that we have a good diversity on the fleet that will allow us to always right side, uh, right size the right project with the right vessel and really ensuring that we have optimal utilization going forward, which is also one of the synergies we have pointed to uh, pre-closing of the deal. Next slide, please. If we look at the CapEx project, we have said it in the past, but uh, we are fully funded on, on, the, on the CapEx project that we, that we have embarked on with, with the new vessels and, and the new cranes. Uh, and and we, we, do, we don't have a need for issuing new equity on current plans. And I think that that has been a, a fundamental position we wanted to put ourselves in uh, pre-closing the merger. Next slide, please. In terms of uh, the synergies, I just mentioned them quickly uh, before, but we have pointed towards annual synergies of 106 million euros uh, that can be realized in the merger. Um, we have already realized a, a chunk of these uh, synergies by uh, reducing uh, corporate cost, management cost, and also um, uh, optimizing hiring plans on both sides and also improving the, financial, the financing terms uh, for the joint company. We have refinanced uh, the, 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 the existing vessels on the water uh, at a better rate than what was uh, jointly um, uh, financed before. On top of this, we are looking at operational synergies. We'll come a little bit back to that uh, later in the presentation, but we are looking at operational synergies around 37 million, and this is really around cross-utilization of, of emission equipment, sea fasting and tooling, uh, procurement, uh, but also um, the, the, the execution capabilities on each side uh, that will be better in the combined scenario. And we, we think that all in all that we are looking at around 37 million. And for what we can see already now is that, that we will be able to realize some of those. We can see with the combined fleet uh, diagram now um, that especially having eight vessels with the same frame spacing uh, is very, very important because um, Every piece of equipment that we own as a company that can be used on a project will have a much higher utilization degree. And it really, it's a cost saving to us on the projects we execute and, and hence a, a better uh, margin on the projects. And in terms of utilization and commercial synergies, this is what I think Kettler has been really, really good at historically. And what we also will be able to even more refine going forward because uh, utilization is the key driver in our industry. Uh, if the vessels are working a lot, then we are also not the ones paying when the vessels are not working and the vessels are expensive when they are not working. So having a very high utilization has always for us been a target. And in the combined setting, we, we very, very clearly see um, that we will be having scopes of work ourselves that we can execute with our own fleet, but also we will be able to 
speed up projects by having two vessels on, on a project at, some, at one point of time or slow down if the project is not having the advancement from other parts of the supply chain that we expected by removing a vessel or having a less capable vessel on the project. And this is really, really where, where we will see a lot of the synergies coming from going forward. And I would say especially towards the, 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 the second half of this decade, there will be a lot of synergies in that space. Next slide, please. And we have just shown here um, some examples of how you can optimize uh, um, uh, the execution of a project by uh, either having the standard with one vessel, uh, a vessel exchange with another vessel, uh, having two vessels where you can uh, you can speed up, or um, uh, or if you have a late start on a project because, for example, uh, the turbines are not ready or the foundations are not ready, uh, then we can still meet the same end date, but we can have then two vessels for a shorter period of time uh, on a project. And and these are just examples of how we will uh, be delivering that commercial synergy, which is of course the bulk of the synergies. But I would like to say that since the combination. Uh, our confidence in delivering commercial synergies have only increased um, because we can really see that it makes a difference when we look at the diagrams in front of us. Next slide, please. And it's, if we look at the, the cost and the utilization, uh, again here, we are looking at uh, the, the mobilization and demobilization. Uh, we will be able to, at a much, much higher rate, um, having vessels mobilized for various scope of work and also uh, try to eliminate these mob demob scopes uh, to an absolute minimum, uh, which will improve the utilization of the asset, the efficiency of the asset, and really also driving down costs for us because we will have much more efficient installation days in a year rather than having these um, breakups uh, in between all the projects where we either are mobilizing or demobilizing projects uh, for next projects. Um, and this is something that we will be constantly trying to refine uh, because we believe that there's a lot of added value for both us as a company, but also for our clients in, in doing this uh, the right way. And also uh, a, a very strong added benefit for a company in renewable energy. If the vessel doesn't have to always demobilize and remobilize, uh, then there will also be a very uh, significant benefit to the environment by our carbon footprint being reduced significantly. Just as a, uh, as a number for, for everybody to understand, um, the sea fasting represents around 20% of the carbon footprint that we bring to a project. Uh, so if we can uh, work with this sea fasting in an efficient manner, then we will be able to drive down the carbon footprint of our part of the, of the project. Next slide, please. In terms of the Kettler journey, I think that when we listed the company, uh, we, we were a company with two vessels, uh, two office locations, a very small presence in, in Taiwan and in Taipei, headquartered in Denmark, and 47 people in, in the office and 158 seafarers. Um, and we then listed in the Oslo Stock Exchange. This was really the start, and this is uh, end of November 2020. If you go to the, to the, new, to the next slide and, and, and see where we are today, now three years in, uh, then we are a company of four vessels on the water, so hence we have significantly de-risked the operational risk of the company uh, by having four vessels on the water today and six coming. So six new builds ordered. We have uh, six office locations uh, in, in all major uh, offshore wind regions in the world. We have 233 office-based employees. We have 363 seafarers. Um, and, and we are present where we need to be present. We are also actively at the moment evaluating the South American region that we think will be very, very interesting uh, and also deemed by what they did on the onshore wind uh, market 
um, a lot of, let's say, positive trends to be taken away from that. And, and, and we think that, that also the fact that we see all the big developers now um, entering that market is, is a sign that we will see uh, some significant developments from that market towards the end of, the, of this decade and the beginning of the next one. And that is certainly a market where we would like to play a role. Um, but certainly a very, very strong track record, a very strong track record, both in terms of what we have done and also a very strong uh, backlog of work that we will do. We certainly have a, a very strong uh, backlog of very exciting projects. And I, as I have said to many investors in the course of the last half year, it's always very important to evaluate the quality of the backlog. And we believe that our quality of backlog is, is very, very strong uh, and have not been affected um, by these uh, these. Uh, blips that we experienced last year. Next slide, please. In terms of us as a company, uh, what can an investor expect from us? Uh, so we are currently working on, on turb turbines. Uh, we are working on the transport and installation scope for turbines for foundations. And we are also working in the maintenance and service uh, segment. Uh, we are constantly looking for, for, for value creating vertical and horizontal expansion we are open to both organic and non-organic growth and also in terms of regional expansion as i just quickly talked a little bit about we are a company that focus on relationships so we are also looking for further strategic partnerships in the regions that we are working in which can both be in the us and in asia uh, but also in europe for, for that matter um, and we are looking at, at delivering an, an increased portfolio of services so what we always do when we are in a business area we look at what are the associated synergies with this business area and, and, and that is also how we are, we are moving ahead, uh, both in the new regions, but also now as a bigger company. And then we are also looking at floating wind. We oftentimes get the question, what do you think about floating wind? Is that a threat? Um, we see it as an opportunity because we say it's the same equipment. It happens offshore. It's the same clients. It's just a different installation method that is needed. But a lot of innovation has to go into this because we do not believe that, that, that pulling the turbines back and forth uh, to port is, is the right strategy for, for example, O&M. So, so, so new procedures, new strategies, new innovation uh, is needed in order to make floating wind uh, uh, an economical viable uh, market uh, to, to outbuild the industry further. So in summary, we are working within the dotted red line, uh, everything that is complicated basically on uh, the contractor side and with a focus on the transport and installation, but also on the operations and maintenance. We believe that operations and maintenance is a very attractive market. It's also a market that is growing significantly at the moment with a bigger installed base, uh, and also where we see that there's a, where there's a significant undersupply of capable assets in that space. So also a, a place where we, with current capabilities, easily can play a role, and we will be playing a role in that space. Next slide, please. So with that said, um, happy to uh, start the Q&A session. I think I kept it within the 20 minutes that we agreed uh, with the team at Capital Link uh, before starting. So uh, now uh, looking forward to take all your questions. Indeed you have. Thank you, Mikael. And with that introduction, I would like now to open the floor for questions. So the first question we have here, um, so are your vessels qualified to operate in U.S. waters under the Jones Act? Um, so you can say yes and no. Um, no, because they are not Jones Act compliant, because in order to be Jones Act compliant, they have to be built, operated and owned in the U.S. Uh, to certain percentages. 
so, so no in that respect. But there are certain circumvention uh, methods uh, on the Jones Act that has been operated with in, in the U.S. for for many decades. For example, in the Mexican Gulf on, on oil, uh, where where there are uh, the barge and feeder methods have been uh, prevailing. Um, so, so that is also one method to use um, in the U.S. market. It is a fact that if if, if we don't circumvent the Jones Act, the the, the, the offshore wind market in in the U.S. will will not happen because so far there is only one vessel being being uh, constructed at the moment, uh, which is the, which is the Dominion vessel um, currently under construction. So, so we will actually be working in the U.S. already from this year, uh, but it will be with a foreign flag vessel. Uh, and then uh, complying with the Jones Act uh, on this uh, barge and feedering method. Well, moving on, the second question to answer would be, do you have any strategic plans for installations of your future assets in Western Canada, areas such as Pacific region and Uruguay over the coming eight or nine years? I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question, but of, but yes, we, we are having strategic plans for how we will deploy the assets, if that is the question. Uh, and, and of course, we are looking at all markets that are opening. So what we are focusing on as a company, we are focusing on, a, on, a, on building up a pipeline. Uh, so we are not coming anywhere to build 20 turbines in a, in a remote location and then sailing back again, because firstly, it's not sustainable that we move these vessels around the world just for 20 turbines. Uh, but but secondly, uh, as I said in my presentation, uh, utilization is a key driver in this industry. Uh, the vessels are costing around 40,000 euro a day when they're not working. Uh, and we need to ensure that there's always a client who needs the vessel. So they are paying for, for, for the OPEX cost of the asset as well. I don't know whether that answered the question. I didn't understand the question 100%. Um, it is a little bit obscure. Um, well, let's move on to the next question which is funding related, I would say. So yeah, I can say for, the addition one, uh, of, for the addition uh, of the six vessels or the crane mm -hmm. installations, um, are they f fully funded, would you say? Yeah, we would say that it, it goes both for the new buildings that we have on order in uh, four in China and two in Korea, and also for the crane uh, operates or that are being installed uh, at the moment at uh, the O-class vessels. So for both, we are fully funded. Okay. Um, and let's dive into uh, capital allocation strategy. Can you provide some color? Risk currently? Yeah, we can. That, uh, that is also a very broad uh, uh, question. Uh, but but I can elaborate a little bit on uh, how how we look at it. Uh, we we allocate the the capital uh, you, of course to the uh, the um, the projects or the business with the highest uh, return on uh, capital. Uh, and we are you know looking at our threshold is a fifteen percent of uh, return on the invested capital. Um, and that it has at the moment been done into only uh, wind turbine installation vessels of, and foundation installation vessels, but it could also in the future be into uh, cabling or other adjacent uh, businesses. Uh, that is something that we evaluate on an ongoing basis. And then often it also spills into, you know, what is the dividend uh, policy? And, and what we can say there is, of course, 
uh, we are building up now the the, the business, uh, and when when we have a fully delivered fleet uh, of uh, ten vessels in in twenty six, uh, then there will also be uh, subsequently to that there will be a, a significantly uh, cash inflow from operations uh, and also more than to to serve. Uh, uh, the debt that we have in the company and uh, repayment of that. So there we will be starting to looking at also distributing uh, dividends to the shareholders in a combination with investment in uh, attractive uh, uh, investments. Okay. Yeah, and I think that links to the last question that was just added here, uh, because that is certainly uh, one of our ambitions that is to return uh, cash to shareholders as well in dividends. Uh, but I think it will be a combination going forward uh, between, uh, you know, growing with the industry uh, also when it's pacing itself a little bit more and then, then of course, uh, dividend policy. Um, I think there was a question around also uh, whether there's any chance that the U.S. Jones Act will be waived to speed up the installation of U.S. offshore wind. I don't think that will be waived, uh, but I think there might be some exceptions, um, especially around the foundations where we do see at the moment that there is a discussion around whether a foundation is part of the Jones Act or not, or whether it becomes Jones Act when, it, when the foundation has been installed. Um, so that is something that we are seeing. So I think that the, the U.S. market is also finding its, leg, its legs at the moment uh, in terms of uh, what is actually uh, in the Jones Act and not. Thank you for the clarification. So the next question is, where do you see the order book of your sector currently? I think it depends on how you measure, because, of course, if you look at, the, let's say, the order book of the developers, uh, every wind, offshore wind project is several billion dollars. So uh, so I think that uh, it depends on how you measure. But but I think that we are in a very solid position where we are. Uh, we don't do EPCI, and that also means that we don't count um, equipment in our order book uh, because we don't deliver any equipment. We are very firm on not doing that. But if you compare us to the EPCI companies, for example, uh, if you look at their order book, it looks much bigger, uh, but they also, for example, they deliver the foundations, they produce and deliver the foundations. And of course, that 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 boosts the order book. But if you look at in terms of margin, um, our margin uh, in terms of percentage is much more uh, attractive than they are, theirs are, because in many cases, um, on when they deliver equipment, the margin is, is much slimmer. Okay, let's switch gears here. So the next question is, despite the headwinds anticipated mainly due to supply chain issues in offshore wind industry, ex-China, you seem optimistic about 2024. Could you elaborate, you view? Yeah, I think that 23 was a year where we, we basically, we, we, the, the industry paused, you know, it was almost like that, that we, we, we hit a, a bad wave and, and the, the, the vessel stopped its motion forward going. And, uh, and that has caused that, that all the projects that were not approved in 23, they are now coming for approval in 24. And that is, the, if, if you are building towards the same end date, which we still are, but you have to do more in shorter time than this, then the steepness of the curves just increase. And we can see that already now. Uh, so this is where the optimism is coming from. And if you compare uh, in Europe, for example, auction round five in the UK, there was no bidders at 44 pounds per, per megawatt. Uh, but now the, this, the subsidy level has gone up 60 plus percent. And, and we are seeing that uh, in the auction round six that is coming this summer, that all the round five projects, they will be bidding with all the round six projects. So we will have much more projects fighting for the same supply chain uh, subsidy and all of that. And, and, and we can certainly see already now that, that it will be very, very, very busy. 
see more questions coming in. Perhaps, Peter, you might want to address the next one. Talk about the benefit of a larger fleet following the merger. Yeah, uh, I can say it from a financial point of view. I think uh, Nick has uh, has talked into the real benefits of having a, a larger fleet. It's a, the flexibility and the redundancy. But from a financial point of view, of course, it, it, it gives you a much stronger balance sheet, uh, a much stronger operation uh, cash flow, cash inflow. So I, I think in the also in the discussions with our customers, it, it is uh, in this industry, which is very, very capital intensive with these larger projects, it, it is really a real benefit to have a, a larger fleet. And if also if you look at the you know, capital markets, now we have a market cap of uh, 1.4 uh, billion uh, US dollars. That is also, you know, uh, a, a threshold that we have reached, which make it much more attractive, you know, to invest into the company uh, with the, with a bigger market cap and uh, more volume in, in this year. So I think from a financial point of view, the, all, all the way around also uh, in discussion with, with lenders, it, it is a benefit, you know, to to have a larger and a fleet and a bigger company. And, and I fully agree with that. And from an operational standpoint, as I said, um, for the clients to go with a with a company that has 10 vessels rather than a company that has two vessels. It, it is fundamentally different. Uh, and, and, and that is creating a very, very large operational synergy um, that, is, uh, that is also creating a, a strong financial synergy because it, it should be um, uh, evaluated in the annual numbers then going forward. For those who are not familiar with your business model, do you provide uh, any guidance as to your uh, model and future cash? And the deployment of future cash, perhaps? That's one question. Yeah, that, you... um, yeah, that is, of course, a, a big question. But I, I, what we have done, you know, to guide a little bit on what can be the, uh, the future cash flow from the businesses at the, in the November 8th um, a presentation that is available on our website uh, that we did uh, in, when we launched the, the tender. Uh, to the energy shareholders. We made an uh, illustrative, uh, fully delivered annual EBITDA uh, uh, numbers uh, where we have taken into consideration if we have a fully delivered fleet of uh, 10 vessels. And then some of the data points that we have seen in, in the market and uh, and uh, and that is the last announced contracts on the Scylla and uh, the new building that came out in uh, in 18 new builds that came out in, in fall. But yeah, you can see that uh, if, if you look at that, that will come between 600 and 831 uh, million uh, of uh, euros in EBITDA. That is in before SDNA, which will be around uh, 50 million uh, euros. So that will be, you know, that is how we have tried to, you know, illustrate what could be the operational cash flow from a, a, a company with 10 uh, fleets or 10 vessels operating. And that is ex excluding uh, the, the earnings from the TNI uh, projects on the on the foundations, which can you know uh, where there can be added a significantly amount of uh, free cash flow in in one year because that is uh, that is uh, scopes to the tune of uh, several one hundred million euros 
per year per vessel that we have, and we have two vessels that are dedicated to to the foundations. So that is that is what we have tried to how we have tried to illustrate it. And then, of course, you can talk about a lot about day rates and and OPEX per day, but but that uh, gives a you know uh, uh, at least a guidance of what is the magnitude of the free cash flow that can uh, you can expect in in future years. Okay, the questions keep pouring in. Um, I don't want to repeat the same. Admittedly, the offshore wind industry can be challenging. So, how do you see the regulation side of the business? Um, what do you think? Are you perhaps going to encounter new regulations in the I, near future? I think there'll be regulations in offshore wind like in any other place, and we are compliant with it. We are we are living by the highest standards in the industry, and, and we have absolutely no problem with any regulation that makes offshore wind a safer and a better and a more predictable place to be. So we have absolutely no problem with that. So we are we are behind that. Okay. Very good. Can you also offer some insight as to your chartering strategy? We, we are not a chartering company. I, I want to make that very, very clear. Uh, chartering is something you do with tankers and bulk carriers. Uh, in our uh, world, we, we, we do uh, project quotes. So we are executing a solution on behalf of the client uh, with their equipment. So, so for us, it's also a fixed price contract in many cases that we embark on. Uh, where we deliver a product to the client at a, at, a, at a fixed price. Of course, this price can then vary. If the client uh, has variations to the contract that we signed, then of course we can vary the price, uh, but, but it is uh, really not a chartering strategy. But of, of course, for us, fundamentally, we are looking at, you know, how much do we want these vessels to be busy versus keeping a little bit free so we can help clients uh, and take opportunities if they arise and all of that. And I think, we, we do have a strategy behind that, but we, we, we don't want to disclose a number in terms of how we want to do it because it also becomes a little bit commercially sensitive if we start to talk about that. Um, but we will be uh, in, in a position where we can say, okay, this part of the, the fleet will be locked down on contracts. So we, we know that the fundamentals are in place and we are a very, very sound and solid company. And then, of course, keeping something for the, for the upside as well. That is fundamentally how we think about it, if that is the question. Thank you. Another interesting question is, um, do you expect to see further consolidations in this industry? Further consolidation? Yeah. I, th I think that there are certainly room for further consolidation in the industry, yes. Uh, the, the question is whether it happens or not. Um, uh, th there can be many reasons for doing uh, consoli con consolidation, but also many reasons for not doing it. And in, at the end of the day, it, it depends a little bit on the companies that are out there, whether they 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 wanted enough to give up control or, or or you know to whatever you know there are many different things so but but I think that the, the industry is still pretty fragmented and and there are room for further consolidation yes and Peter perhaps you can answer this question uh, with your future sides what is Cadillac's view on transitioning into uh, a turnkey EPCI provider for construction or a life cycle service provider for O&M operations? This is, it feels like it's technical. I, I think the best uh, answer by me. <laughs> I, I can take that question. Yes, thank you, Peter. Um, I think that uh, actually uh, we, we do not have an ambition of being a, an EPCI contractor. 
Um, I think historically in the industry, there's a lot of companies that have burnt their fingers on EPCI. And as I said uh, also before, um, you need to deliver components to the industry. Then you need to either design and, and, and build the foundation and deliver that as part of the package. And that holds the, the, the challenge that you not only have to do fit for purpose clauses in your contracts, but you also have to give warranties on the products you deliver. And that is things that we are steering very, very clear away from. So we want to make it a, a simpler business model uh, where it's really our services that we sell to the clients. Um, so, so you can think about us as, as a construction company that uses these complicated vessels as our tools in the toolbox. Um, but, but we are building things. That is our key uh, capability. And this is where our know-how is, is, is at its best. Um, but in terms of the, the O&M, the second part of the question, the O&M part, and this is something that we are working on at the moment to find out exactly where is it that we want to play a role in the O&M space because it is not so simple because in, in, in you can decide just to go full speed ahead on everything, but that might put you in a situation where you become a competitor to some of your clients because obviously the turbine OEMs also like to do part of this work. Uh, on the other hand, the developers, they would like to have more suppliers uh, outside the OEMs in this space. So for us, it's a, it's a balancing act here where, where we want to play a role. Ideally, we want to do more full-scope O&M services. Uh, we believe that uh, it, it is a very interesting market, both from a financial point of view, uh, but also from a capability point of view. We have the right tools for, for doing it, the right um, um, assets and tools in, in one box, basically, but also the right capabilities. Um, so, so it is a place where I think it's fair to say that Kettler will be playing a role more. We have played a role historically, and we are playing a role more as a gap filler today, but, but to make it a real business, uh, one has to focus on it a lot. And, and I think that we, we, will, we are looking at kind of like how to, to, to be a, uh, a contributor and a, and a, and a real industry uh, player in that, in that space and segment as well. Very well, thank you. Another question that just came in, how close to shore should offshore wind projects be? That, that is depending from place to place. Um, in Denmark, we have a project called Danish Nearshore, indicating that it's that it's uh, that it's that it's pretty close to the shore. Uh, there is always this uh, NIMBY effect; nobody wants it in their backyard, right? Uh, so, in my opinion, it's easier to get uh, permitting if you are further away and nobody can see it. Um, with that said, actually, in Denmark uh, and in Europe in general, uh, offshore wind turbines are, are tourist attractions. People they travel out to see them on ferries. So, um, so, so it depends. I, I cannot. I don't have an intelligent answer to that question. I would say where they are allowed to be built, they should be built. Thank you. And lastly, and I think I'm going to sum up the presentation with this question: How would you envisage the future of Cuddlier in the years ahead? I think. Um, I think that. Uh, this this question could be answered both by Peter and myself because I this of is where, yes. where I think Please. that we where we agree. Um, I think that uh, I will I will leave the capital side to Peter, but I think that he will be talking about prudence and and you know ensuring that that investors they get capital returned to them. But from a company point of view, we we want to follow our clients. You know, we want to be um, uh, the place that our clients they call. Uh, when they need uh, offshore installation services, but also the place they call if something goes wrong or or uh, if they need uh, you know to fix something offshore. Um, I think that we are we have been on a journey, uh, and we have come far uh, uh, on that journey to be that that company. Sure. Um, but we also need to uh, to focus on maintaining that position now. Um, 
and to give our clients that feeling that uh, when you deal with Kettler, uh, then we also um, inherit their values and their targets to ensure that uh, that we build many, many, many successful offshore wind projects because this is what the industry needs. If we can show that we can do this successfully on budget and on time, uh, then the projects will come naturally. Uh, and that is what we, we aim to do. So really working together with our clients, uh, being a listed company, you know, ensuring that our investors, they, they have sound investments in the company. Um, and that is what we, we foresee for the future. Peter? Yeah, uh, I fully agree with uh, Mikkel, but uh, in addition, uh, of course, it, it is uh, it is our ambition to be uh, able to deliver a good return to our shareholders, um, start paying out dividends, grow the company further. We we really believe uh, a lot in growth in the in Kettler. Uh, and that means we're growing the company for our, our shareholders, but also for, also for the organization of, or, and for our customers. Uh, so, so we really see a, a future with, uh, with growth uh, that can benefit um, our own organization. I think really believe that if you would like to have a, a good company, then you need to grow. Uh, and that benefits your employees and your organization because then it opens up to a lot of opportunities for everybody. We are in an industry that is growing a lot, so we also need to grow to, to keep our market share and to, to follow the customers uh, as uh, Mikkel uh, saying. So, so we can say that we, we see here a bright future with, uh, with growth. Yes, very much agree with that. Are we missing anything? Would you like to add any remarks here at this point? No, I'm just saying that uh, you know, uh, again, thanks to our, to to all the shareholder support we saw in the in the merger. I think that that is uh, we cannot say that enough. Uh, the support we met from the existing Enedi shareholders was uh, ab absolutely phenomenal, and 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 we will we will go to work every day and work bloody hard. Uh, to deliver, uh, you know, back on that uh, confidence we saw from the shareholders, uh, that is uh, that is certainly a promise that we are we are happy to give. Uh, we 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 are ambitious and we have plans uh, for the company, and uh, and and we were very very um, you know humbled by the support we got from the shareholders. And with that, I would like to say that today's presentation concludes. Thank you both. And thank you to everyone for taking the time to join us today. The presentation will be available later today to our website, and you may now disconnect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.